The word diet to many people means how to lose weight. It even is implied. We say things like, I'm going to diet down for the summer, or I've been eating like shit, I need to go on a diet. When I am talking about the best diet, I'm talking about it from the standpoint of overall health. Weight is a factor in health, but it is a small, single factor. The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Welcome back to part two of the two-part series, The Best Diet, Ending the Argument for Good. So what is the best diet? Arguments rage across the internet, social media especially, about if keto is better, or intermittent fasting, or vegan, or carnivore, or paleo. And this argument has been going on literally for decades. If you Google best diet, you get about 3.5 billion results. And on that first page, I see keto, obviously, Atkins, vegetarian, anti-inflammatory, cardiac diet, DASH diet. It can be overwhelming for even people who understand this stuff. I'm a nutrition coach, and I don't even know what half of those things are. And that means for people who aren't educated in nutrition and aren't educated in dietary science, it can seem like trying to decipher some ancient language. So today, I'm going to extremely succinctly and extremely simply break down for you what the best diet is. And this is not my opinion. This is simply based on facts and science. And then I'll give you some quick tips to help you implement this in your daily life. And bing, bang, boom, never have to waste time worrying or trying to figure out what is the best diet again. Sound good? So going back to that question, what is the best diet? Many zealots and dogmatists would say, well, it's easy. The best diet is my diet, my thing. If that's keto or carnivore or vegan or whatever else. Most of the time, those people are simply saying that because it's something that they've seen results from personally. And sometimes they're saying that because it's something that they can profit from. So the first is just anecdotal evidence, and the second is simply shilling. Either way, look out for these people and don't take their advice. Because there is science that should be backing this up. And a lot of people who are more knowledgeable and frankly have some more respect for themselves and aren't just going to sell out to try to make a quick buck, well, a lot of those people would argue that it's hard to say what the best diet is, that there maybe isn't one specific best. And I would have agreed if I was recording this three or four years ago, but I've changed. I think that the honest answer is that there is a better and worse, and there is a best. But the first thing we have to do is to define what actually are we even talking about. 
The word diet to many people means how to lose weight. It even is implied. We say things like, I'm going to diet down for the summer, or I've been eating like shit, I need to go on a diet. But in reality, when I say diet, I just mean what you put into your body. Your diet is everything that you eat, drink, or otherwise consume. Your diet does affect your weight. It affects whether it goes up or down or if it stays still. But regardless if you're gaining, maintaining, losing, you do have a diet that you are adhering to all of the time. And I took the entire part one of this series to break down this distinction between diet and weight loss. So if you haven't listened to that, then you can pause this and go back and listen to part one. Because when I am talking about the best diet, I'm talking about it from the standpoint of overall health. Weight is a factor in health, but it is a small, single factor. It is not the only one. A healthy diet is a healthy diet. The best diet is a healthy diet. And you can eat the best diet and gain weight, or you can eat this way and lose weight. Because weight is just about overall calories and activity. It's not about your food choices or other things like that. So for the purposes of this discussion, I am not saying that this is the best diet for weight loss. If you want to lose weight, then you can follow these rules, lower your calories, and you'll lose weight. If you want to gain weight, you can follow these rules, raise your calories, and you'll gain weight. And if you're eating one way and you're gaining weight, but you want to be losing weight, then again, you can simply adjust your calories to get there. So simply put, the best diet is the best diet because it's the healthiest diet. And it's the best diet for most people most of the time. I caveat this with most because there are some outliers. Some people are unique. We are all different. Some people do have dietary restrictions or allergies or diseases or disorders that makes them need a specific, more specific diet. However, most people do not fall into that category. Most of us are humans, and most of us tend to, for the most part, work off of the same basic set of rules. And what are those rules then? So the first thing you have to understand, the first rule of diet is energy balance. So we need to understand energy balance and how calories work. So calories, everyone knows calories. They know the word, but what is a calorie? Well, it's in food, right? Calories are bad for us. You know, we know we don't want to avoid them, right? That's about it. The thing is, not really. Put simply, the human body is powered by calories. The word calorie is simply a unit of measurement for energy. If you live in the U.S., then the temperature for the thermostat of your house is measured in degrees Fahrenheit, or outside of the U.S., it's Celsius. That's simply a unit of measurement for heat. So calories can be thought of in the same way. But instead of measuring the heat in your house, they're measuring the heat energy expended by your body. And food consists of nutrients. Nutrients which, when digested, provide energy. So the amount of energy a specific food or nutrient provides can be measured and then represented as calories. The main nutrients that humans consume and can gain energy from are carbohydrates, protein, and fat. These are known as macronutrients, a term you might have heard before. Alcohol does technically represent the fourth macronutrient, 
but since we're talking about the world's healthiest diet here and the world's healthiest diet doesn't include much alcohol, we're gonna skip that one. So each macronutrient can be broken down and converted into a certain amount of energy. One gram of carbohydrates gives your body four calories worth of energy. One gram of protein is four calories as well. One gram of fat is nine calories. And any and all food that you can eat is made up of one of or a combination of these three macronutrients. So an apple, for example, might have 25 grams of carbs. That means that four calories per gram, that would convert to 100 calories. And that when your body breaks down those carbohydrates, it gains 100 calories worth of energy. And each macronutrient serves a different purpose inside the body. None are inherently good or bad, but they're all needed for different things. Protein is the building block of your body. It's what your bones, your muscles, and literally even your DNA are made out of. Carbohydrates are your body's primary source of energy because carbs convert faster and more efficiently to the calories your body needs. So that's where your body prefers to get its energy from when possible especially during int intense activity like exercise. And that's why you hear about racers or athletes carving up or something like that. They're shoring up their energy stores for the competition. They're increasing the amount of carbohydrates which can be digested and then converted to energy. And then lastly, fat, which is necessary for certain hormonal reactions in the body and then yes, can also be stored in the body as a way to store energy. So your stored fat is simply stored energy. Macronutrients are where we get energy and we need energy for survival. We need calories to survive, okay? Calories are literally what keeps the light on. It's what keeps your heart pumping. They are the currency of human life. We see then that calories, once again, are not good nor bad. They are just a part of life like air or water. Once you understand calories, if you want to understand weight loss, weight gain, or maintenance, that is about energy balance. Energy balance can be thought of like a seesaw. So on one side of the seesaw is your energy intake, meaning all of the calories that you intake via what you eat and what you drink. And then on the other side of the seesaw is your energy output meaning all of the cal calories you burn for energy. Remember that you burn calories for literally everything you do. It literally takes calories to exist. Everything from talking to typing to breathing to thinking to your heart beating all costs calories. So if your energy balance tips to where your intake outweighs your output, you end up in what's called a calorie surplus, meaning in you're taking in more calories than you are expending. In this case, those excess calories can be converted into fat where they will be stored for later use. That's how fat, fat gain and weight gain can happen. And if your energy balance tips to where your output is greater than your intake, this is known as a calorie deficit, meaning you're burning more calories than you're taking in. So for instance, say you burn 2,500 calories in a day, but you only ate 2,000 calories, well, in that case, your body still needs those other 500 calories. They have to come from somewhere. So your body can go into your fat stores, which would be how weight loss happens. 
But notice in both of those examples I said can, because it is not guaranteed to work out that way. For example, in a calorie surplus, where you're eating more calories than you're burning, if you are exercising regularly, this could be a signal to your body that those excess calories could be used to build new muscle or to fortify your bones. However, if you're simply watching Netflix every day and never lifting a finger while eating in a calorie surplus, then yes, those extra calories will be stored as fat. Similarly, if you're in a 500 calorie deficit and you are burning 500 more calories a day than you're taking in, and your body needs to get those calories from somewhere, then those calories can be taken from your fat stores, but they can also be found by breaking down muscle or bone or other tissues. And that's how some people actually become weaker when they diet. This is why simply counting calories or only paying attention to the weight on the scale can be deceiving. We care about body composition and things like our body fat to muscle ratio, not simply how many calories we eat or what the number on the scale says. And obviously when talking about energy balance, exercise can be a big part of that equation since it's the part of the energy output that is actually within your control. And it's the part that you can increase as wanted or needed because you burn a certain amount of calories just living, but if you wanna burn more than that, then you can simply add physical activity. But people try to work off, I'm using air quotes there, excess calories they eat by exercising more. In reality, as we've all heard, this doesn't work, right? They always say you can't outwork a bad diet. And that's simply for the fact that it's much easier to eat calories than it is to burn them off. The intake side of that seesaw is much easier to overload than the output side is. And that's why we're in an obesity epidemic. You know, exercise burns calories, but not nearly as much as people think. A super intense workout that lasts 45 or 60 minutes might only burn 500 calories. And that's a big sandwich or a large fries at McDonald's, which takes you five minutes to eat. And that's also why things like steps and other non-exercise movement are so important. This is known as NEAT, N-E-A-T, or non-exercise energy thermogenesis. This is all the calories that you burn doing non-exercise. So taking the stairs or walking instead of driving, doing whatever you can to inject some extra movement into your day is going to be helpful. Anything that you can do to tip that scale towards more output, more energy burned. So that is how fat loss, weight loss is dictated. Energy balance dictates whether you lose weight or gain weight. But life is about more than weight loss or weight gain, regardless of what social media might have you believe. Macronutrient com composition, protein, carbs, fat, and how much is in a certain food or drink dictates the amount of calories that food has. But food is also made up of more than just macronutrients and calories. There are also micronutrients, and there's also fiber. Micronutrients are known as micro because they don't have a caloric value, so they don't technically produce energy for the body, nor do they contribute to the overall energy equation or the energy balance and we need less of them to survive than we do macronutrients. Micronutrients are vitamins and minerals, and they're still extremely important for many other reasons, even though they don't directly convert to calories. 
And this is the first big slip up that a lot of people have fallen into, especially in recent years. And it's totally understandable because I fell into this trap as well. Is when you understand that weight loss or weight gain is dictated simply by energy balance, simply by calories in versus calories out, and you think that weight loss is all that matters, and that the scale weight is the most important thing in the world, well, then you understand that you can largely eat anything you want since all you have to do to still lose weight is maintain that proper energy balance. So if you just track your calories strictly and make sure that you're eating within your quote-unquote caloric goal, well, then you can control that weight and what shows up on the scale. And to prove this point, Mark Hobb, a Kansas State University professor, went on what he called the Twinkie diet as an experiment to see if he could lose weight by eating only low-quality, high-processed foods, as long as he paid close attention to his calories. The experiment worked, and Hobb lost almost 30 pounds in 10 weeks. And this is a smashing success by any standard of weight loss. And the fact that he did it while only eating junk food that you can find at your local gas station, well, that astounded many people. And, you know, I know that at this point you might be thinking like I was, well, sure, maybe he lost weight, but all that cake and cream filling had to have wreaked havoc on his insides. And you'd think so, but no. Hobb also tracked these metrics. He tracked his cholesterol and other blood markers, and all of that improved in the same amount of time. So how can that be? Simply put, the worst thing for the human body is not Twinkies. It's having too much excess fat stored. Again, this is not a dig at people who are quote-unquote fat or fat shaming. I'm not judging people or questioning anyone's value as a human. I'm just stating that from a physiological standpoint, carrying around too much excess body fat is detrimental to our health and well-being. It taxes the heart, makes it harder to breathe and move, and it just isn't ideal. Therefore, in Hobbes case, the act of losing 30 pounds of excess fat outweighed, no pun intended, whatever negative effects all of that sugar and processed garbage might have had. So simply put, the biggest lifestyle change that one can make for their heart or blood or other health is simply to get into and maintain a healthy body fat percentage, a healthy ratio of lean muscle to excess fat. And that's that's important distinction. It's not just about the weight on the scale. Because to be fair, Hobb was untrained and under-muscled, meaning that he was at a very high body fat percentage prior to the diet. And he used an extreme measure to decrease that body fat percentage. So it's not to say that him eating in a calorie deficit and eating nutritious, balanced foods and actually exercising and getting stronger wouldn't have reached even better results for him. Obviously, that would be true as well. The fact of the matter is, it's less about the weight that he lost on the scale and more about the fact that he decreased his fat to muscle ratio. So the important thing is that we understand fat management is important for your health and longevity. That's something that we really can't argue. We know that people who accumulate more excess body fat as they age tend to struggle with more health conditions. So managing your fat and your weight can be done by eating a variety of foods, even foods deemed unhealthy or bad, simply by managing your caloric intake, as long as you manage that energy balance. So if the conversation stopped here, then we could say that there is no best diet. 
and that you eat whatever you want in your calorie range, you maintain your weight, you enjoy your Twinkies, and that's that. Which, again, wouldn't be specifically wrong. However, there is more to life than fat loss or weight management. While it is an extremely important piece of the health equation, once again, it is still just a piece. The diet that focuses only on calories at the expense of all else can lose sight of this. Yes, you can lose weight by only eating a thousand calories of Twinkies every day, and you'll still get a lot of the benefits of weight loss even though you did it eating pure junk food. But this, you know, calories are all that matters approach is short-sighted because it's taking the view that food is only fuel, and food is really much more than that. That's why micronutrients, again, have to be in the conversation. Micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, as well as fiber, affect your hormones. They affect your body systems, like your gut. They affect your mood, your sleep, your recovery, your energy. They greatly influence your immune system, which is one of the most important things that we have to keep top of mind for this conversation. Fiber and food quality also greatly affect your satiety, which is how full you feel after a meal or throughout the day after eating. Eating a big salad will have much less calories than junk food, but the salad is full of nutrition and will help you feel full and literally feel good. Your body will feel better. Junk food is what's known as empty calories. Empty calories tend to mean food that have a lot of calories, being the macronutrients, but not a lot of the micronutrients, the vitamins and minerals or overall nutritional value. Take a large fry from McDonald's, for example, which is listed on their website at 490 calories. Maybe you get a few of those bonus bad guys in there and we round it up to 500. From a purely energetic standpoint, which is how your brain is looking at things most of the time, that's fine, 500 calories, that's energy that you need. And it tastes amazing. You get salty, you get fatty, which are the tastes we evolved to crave. And all of these send signals to your brain that this is good, eat more. Hence why I think it is statistically impossible for me to not to finish an entire McDonald's fries once I've started. And all of this seems like good news to your brain, which is focused on acquiring energy to help you survive. But remember that your survival brain is quite old. It's the brain that has evolved over millions of years and doesn't understand fast food or Uber Eats. And the reality that we live in today is quite the opposite. For one, as I said, those french fries are empty calories. Lots of calories next to no nutritional value outside of those calories. And the bigger issue is that they are hyper palatable. I just mentioned that you evolved to crave fat and salt. It's because evolutionarily, these are things tastes flavors that aren't easily found in nature. Nature did not take McDonald's into account when evolving our taste preferences. Hyperpalatable foods tend to have a combination of salty, fatty, and sweet. These are flavors that we crave, and the combination of those flavors makes them almost too good to turn down. They're impossible to resist. So you'll see that for all the talk and demonization around carbs, most what they would call bad carb sources are really combinations of all of the above. They're much less pure carbs and much more salty, fatty, sweet in some combination, which make them, again, hyper palatable. For instance, you know, pizza. A lot of people consider pizza or pasta a carb, but in reality, they're not just carbs. You wouldn't just eat pasta by itself. You're going to eat 
pasta with butter or pasta with Alfredo sauce. That's fatty. That's salty. You're going to eat pizza. It's not just bread. It's bread and cheese and sauce and meat and salt. It's the sweet tangy sauce, the fatty cheese, the oil, the salt, the meat. It's all of it that combines to make it so good that your brain craves it. And we see that with the majority of foods that we crave and that are also bad for us. You'll see a mixture of macronutrients, a mixture of tastes, but a almost complete lack of micronutrients and nutrition. Fruit, on the other hand, is a pure carb. Apple or orange is literally only carbs. There's no protein or fat in it. Same with most, most vegetables. But we don't find ourselves craving these things to no end. No one wakes up after a night out and says, Ugh, I wish I didn't eat all those tomatoes last night. Hyperpalatable foods, in order to become hyperpalatable, tend to be ultra-processed. Ultra-processed just means that a lot of stuff had to happen to them to get to where they are. I did an entire episode breaking down the truth of processed foods back in episode 37, so check that out for a thorough breakdown. But it makes sense that these go together, hyper-palatable and ultra-processed, because hyper-palatable foods are not found in nature. As I said, those tastes, salty, fatty, sweet, are rarely even found on their own. That's why we crave them, and they're certainly not found together. And that means that when we get them all together into a single candy bar, like a take five, those ingredients to get there have to be so far removed from their natural source. You know, the amount of work it takes for the raw ingredients of wheat, beef, potato to end up as a McDonald's Big Mac meal is probably more than my tiny brain can comprehend. They have to make it portable and ship things and pack things and preserve things. All of these steps take these ingredients farther away from their natural state where they started. The, through the steps of making things more transportable and tastier, they have to take away much of its nutritional value. They strip it of its fiber. They strip it of its micronutrients. If you compare 100 grams of beef from a McDonald's burger and 100 grams of pure farm-raised, grass-fed beef from a farm where you can pet the cows, you're going to get two very different pictures of nutrition. So that's one side of the spectrum, hyperpalatable, ultra-processed foods. These foods tend to be higher in calories, lower in nutrients. They also taste better, which makes them harder to control ourselves around them. And it makes it impossible for your body to listen to its actual internal hunger cues. They're more shelf-stabilized, they're portable, which makes them more convenient and easier to keep around. On the other side of that spectrum is just food, real fresh food, whole foods, foods that exist in nature. Potatoes, tomatoes, corn, beef, shrimp, tofu, pears, apples. These foods are delicious. I love me a good pear. I love some sweet corn. But unfortunately, nature can't hold a candle to what these scientists at Nabisco and Kraft can literally create in a laboratory. Whole, real foods are full of nutrients, but they tend not to last as long. They tend not to be as easily acquired or prepared. So you might start to understand where problems are arising. This is what you are up against. And this is not going away. It's not going to get any easier or better for us. So yes, when we talk about diet, it's about your weight, but it's about your health. It's about your family's health. It's about what you're fueling your body with. It's about your community's health. And it's about humanity as a whole. So I'll put it bluntly. This is a big fucking deal. Much bigger than the weight on the scale. 
This is about your future and your family's future. So now we understand the basics of nutrition, the basics of energy balance. We understand what macro and micronutrients are and why they're so important. And in part one of the series, I laid out what I personally believe to be the key factors that will result from the best diet. A good diet should help your physical health, your mental wellness, as well as your longevity, meaning how you age over time. Meaning that for something to be the best, it has to positively affect all three categories. These are three legs of a stool. You take any away and the whole thing falls on its face. So calories and energy balance can go a long way towards balancing the first leg of the stool. Eating to maintain a healthy fat to muscle ratio, fueling your physical activity, recovering from exercise, that's all important, but that's only under the physical health leg. That's not the end of the conversation. People love to talk about sustainability with diets, which 100% is important. If you make a change that you can't stick with in the long term, it really won't be beneficial since by definition, if it's not sustainable, you will stop, you will end up going back to what you were doing before. And I mentioned earlier, food is not just fuel. Food is part of our cultures, it's our religion, it's how we celebrate, it's how we spend time with loved ones. For better or worse, food is a big part of our lives. And if I was a gambling man, I wouldn't bet on it changing anytime soon. Because unless technology takes away the need for us to eat, you're going to continue to eat every single day until the day you die. So the best diet has to be one that you feel good on and that you never want to change because again if you cannot keep with it eventually you'll give up and start eating differently which if you're switching off of the best diet by definition means you are going to a worse diet and that is trading down so that brings us to rule number one of the best diet it has to be something you can stick to forever it can't feel like a diet in the traditional weight loss sense it has to be just how you eat from now on. And remember that there is a direct connection between how you eat and many different areas and aspects of your life. A lot of people think, talk, care a lot about the connection between what we eat and how we look, but that's just one of the myriad of effects that diet has on a human being. Your diet will affect your mood sleep, energy, strength, relationships, your health, your happiness. It affects every aspect of the quality of your life. So the second rule for the world's best diet is to eat well because it's what's good for you and good for your life. A better diet will lead to a better life. Being at a healthy level of body fat will let you live longer. It will let you live a fuller, happier life. You will age more gracefully. You'll have a better quality of life into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Fueling your days will also lead to better, more full, more fun days, more full of energy, more full of activity, more full of connection, more full of life. That means that being good for your life has to take into account both calories, meaning macronutrients and energy balance, but also nutrition micronutrients, fiber, and the effects that these things have on your gut, your mental state, and everywhere else. 
And now, just from these two simple rules, we can start to see some guidelines take shape. We want lots of nutrition. Nutrition meaning nutrients, micronutrients and fiber. And we want to eat in a way that is conducive of living a long life. Remember, the third leg of the stool is longevity. And remember what I said about hyperpalatable, ultra-processed foods? How these foods are what we crave and they're pervasive in our society, but they're also the worst thing for us? So yeah, we can see that the first step is simply to avoid these type of foods as much as possible. And obviously I understand that that's hard because these foods are everywhere, from fast food to pizza to the majority of foods you find in the grocery store, they're literally everywhere. So I'm not saying you need to cut out all processed foods. Again, go back to that episode I did about processed foods to understand why that won't work. But you can try to limit the extent that hyper palatable, ultra processed foods with a laundry list of ingredients are allowed inside your home and inside your life. And, and then when you take one thing away, you have to fill that void with something else. So instead of hyper palatable, ultra processed junk food, we can eat dun 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 drum roll, real food. I know. Wow, what a doozy. Limit highly processed junk, include lots of real fresh fruits and veggies. Is that it? Really? Did I just rant for 30 minutes to tell you what you already know? Well, partly yes. Yes, because it really is that simple, and yet so many people want to complicate things. But what about keto? What about carnivore? Well, those diets, or really any diet, you will see start to break one of the two rules. Usually, it's sustainability, since cutting out an entire food group like carbs tend to be tough for most people to stick to in the long run. However, even if you could stick to a pure keto or pure carnivore or even pure vegan, we can see that by definition, any diet that is based on exclusion cannot be the best diet. Because the best diet is the diet that gives us the most nutrition. And different foods have different nutrient profiles, meaning the, nutri the nutrients found in different foods is different. An apple has different nutrients than a cherry. A cherry has different nutrients than a steak. A steak has different nutrients than corn. That means that the more variation, the more variety of foods that you can have in your diet, the more variation and variety of nutrients. There was a saying I learned in nutrition school that was, eat the rainbow. Vary your food choices, vary colors, vary types, vary everything. So any diet, like carnivore or keto or even vegan, which restricts entire food groups, inherently cannot be as full of nutrients as a diet that includes a little bit of everything. And you might have moral reasons to be vegetarian or vegan. I'm not going to argue against that. But I'm just simply saying that those diets are not inherently healthier. If you were eating a complete vegan diet, but added one grass-fed steak and two whole eggs per week, you'd simply be adding a nutrient profile that was missing before which is again, by definition, more nutrients, more nutritious, meaning more healthy. And now obviously anything can be taken to an extreme. The devil is in the details. So if you had a vegan and then you add red meat three times a day for seven days a week, well now you've swung the pendulum to the other side and now you're unhealthy because you're doing too much. And if you're adding foods that are low in nutritional value, like the ultra processed junk I've been talking about, you're adding empty calories and you're not gaining any nutrients. So adding vegan chips or keto cookies on top of a keto diet does nothing for you. 
the real culprit at the end of the day and what we're trying to get away from is that our diets tend to be sad. And that's not a euphemism. It's an acronym. SAD, S-A-D, stands for the Standard American Diet. The Standard American Diet is low in nutrients, high in calories, high in hyperpalatable foods. That's one side of the spectrum. And that's what we're trying to get away from. The best diet is then simply the diet that is a full variety of whole foods, lots of fruits, lots of veggies, lots of different types of protein moderate in calories as to maintain a positive energy balance and also make sure that you enjoy the diet enough to feel good about how you're eating today tomorrow and into the future it's simple it's straightforward and it works 100 percent of the time so i hope this has left you feeling a little bit better equipped in understanding the basics of nutrition because in reality, the basics are all you need. You don't need to fall for the nonsense out there on social media. Don't get tricked by some guy flashing his abs telling you that he has the next best thing or he can fool your metabolism or jumpstart your thyroid. You already know what the best thing is. You've got it right here. All you have to do is eat. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next week, stay happy, stay healthy.